Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks, and today I've got a guest that I've been wanting to get on for ages, and that's my old buddy, David Miller. Now, I was hoping that we could have done this in his studio down in Wales. However, it just made more sense to do it over Zoom because of the podcast winding down soon. We will be back, but we're just having a bit of a break. Now, David is arguably the most senior and well-known fish artist in Britain. His work has a fantastic photorealism with still a flair of art to it. And I've absolutely loved it. I've got a couple of his paintings, um, prints, I should say, not originals, in my house already. And I think his work's absolutely phenomenal. So I was dying to have a waffle uh, to a fellow fish botherer, as David likes to call us, people who bother fish. Now, I don't normally plug things too mercilessly on the podcast. However, I will make this one exception because it's relevant to myself and David. Now, with Celtic Deep, they're a boat company that go out from Dale in Pembrokeshire and they do trips with sharks and all kinds of wildlife. In June next year, on the 24th and the 25th of June, myself and David are running a trip with Celtic Deep and you can come out with us and snorkel with puffins. This is right, so you can get in the water, you wear a fake puffin on your head if you want to, and you can get incredibly close to puffins, guillemots, razorbills, maybe some seals, and swim with them. There's a link to the description in that below, but you'll join myself and David. We'll have a good crack. We'll see some amazing wildlife. It should be a great experience. Come join us. In today's podcast, we talk about how David's starting painting wildlife and fish, what his process is for getting his work to a point he's happy with, and what's the basis of his paintings, reference images, his mind's eye, or a mixture of it all, as well as some of the other things that he loves to do. Here's our chat. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you, Jack. Nice to see you. I know how you do. It's been a while since I saw you. Was it last summer, maybe? Well, at least try. I don't know whether you find it during these strange times that for some reason, you know, with the shutdowns and wondering uh, where we're up to with the pandemic, it seems to, not just with me, with, with friends as well, seems to have shifted time in, in some strange, almost like science fiction way. Because we went out where you got the pole cam footage of the whale. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was, was your pole, actually. Borrowing my pole. Yeah, I, I pushed you out of the way, grabbed your That's pole. That's right. <laughs> Typical. I've come, come to expect uh, nothing less. Was it? Um, okay. Oh, it's a minky, wasn't it? Was it was a minky. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. That wasn't this summer. That was, uh, was last, last summer. summer. It was last summer. So, wow. Does it doesn't seem that long ago, but yeah, it's all time and space is folding on each other isn't it so it is yeah. and it's really, a shame because really i wanted really to do this in person i was really keen to do this in person but i just thought well, when am i next going to see david i thought sod it we'll just uh, bite the bullet and do it via zoom because it would have been uh, nice to do it in your in your studio but hey ho we're here now waffling and i thought well, to start off we might as well start at the beginning with you but when did your interest in in fish begin because i don't think we've ever i've ever asked you anything like this before but where did it all start with you Probably like um, certainly in my in my day, you know, going back uh, going back almost fifty years, certainly forty odd years, um, almost everybody would would go would go playing out a lot more to start with. You know, you you were given free reign, but you also a typical thing to do. We had a, a local park, uh, Alexandra 
Park Lake in Oldham. So we'd go with the little cane handle net and a jam jar. We'd go catching sticklebacks. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know we sort of create a story after the event, but just, just that that one, the first time I ever did that and got, got these fish in the jar and that sense, which is still with me, of, of the perfection of fish and, and, and how immaculate the, they look. And you know, seeing them all as, as you can when you when you catch the fish and put them in a jar, you can see them close too. Uh, I, I was I was sort of bewitched immediately, and you know, I was with my brothers and some friends, and they'd got bored and gone off, and I, I just stayed until I, I had this this jar absolutely crammed with uh, with sticklebacks. So there's two incidents really. That was the first one, and then the second was um, my grandfather farmed a, a dairy farm on the edge of, uh, of Oldham on the what was still the sort of rural fringe, and in the corner of uh, his bottom field. There was a tiny pond which uh, it lay over old mine workings so as kids we were told under no uncertain terms it was dangerous so stay away from the pond so as soon as we were out of sight we'd go off to this pond and often get shouted at by the anglers but one day we'd all lined up sort of really quietly for once behind this angler and he caught a roach probably four ounces yeah he, he, he held it out to us, just showed it to us on the palm of his hand. And again, it, you know, I, I suppose a lot of other anglers, and pro- probably yourself, with the way that your career has gone, you can relate to, to that. And the way that my, my brother saw it, whoever was with us, friends, cousins, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, there's a fish. I was like, wow, that, yeah. is, that is incredible. And, and the sort of magic as well. This was a tiny, muddy farm pond. And it seemed like a sort of alchemy. That this angler had some sort of magic that he, he, <laughs> he plucked out of this uh, unpromising um, environment. This, this immaculate again. That's part of it. Like with the sticklebacks, you know, it was small fish, so probably never been caught. Scale perfect. You know that regular pattern of, of the scales, the, the you know, that beautiful silver, and then all that set against the the red fins. And that probably age ten then, and and I, I was off then absolutely. Uh, again, like, like yourself, that character with intensity, um, you just keep sort of fueling the fire then, don't you? For, well, I suppose that as a youngster as well, you're never going to see a fish like that up close without a fishing rod. So then be able to see that and you're like, oh, it's a proper fish. It's not a little tiddler, even though it's only a few ounces. But I guess to, compared to a stickleback, that probably looked like a tuna compared to what you'd previously yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and, and obviously as well, I think if you if you've been honest with anglers, not greed, that's the wrong word. There's an acquisitiveness, a desire. You want one, you know. It, it yeah. was Almost top of my wish list to to, to catch one myself. But as, as you say, especially living as I did in Oldham, uh, there was one. Well, there were a couple of waters actually which were clear, but but they were the exception. Most of the places we we fish were, you know, very very sort of coloured. So the, you you you're right. You, the only chance you had of uh, of seeing a fish was was to catch it and uh, and look at it in in the hand. So when did painting fish come into it then? This fascination, which became I suppose for a few years, probably from like twelve to teenage years, late teenage, when you know when girls and side became interested. Other, the, other the interests. <laughs> The fishing was right up there, a rapidly growing library of, uh, of angling books. Um, all my spare time um, spent fishing. So what I used to do was was copy 
you know, the illustration, so, so the kitchen table sort of uh, have the fisherman's handbook out and then all the, the favourite species that, that I loved, you know, with a, with a kiddie's set of, uh, of watercolours. And also with, with the, uh, it's funny actually, but the hubris of, of youth, um, I don't think any, well, I don't think it's a fact, no, no illustrator ever has come near to, to the perfection of a fish, you know, the, and, and, and the detail as well. I don't know what, what your eyes are like, whether you're short-sighted like I am, but but my close-up vision is is incredible. If I, yeah. if I look closely at a roach, I can see the pigmentation, you know, that, that actually make, makes up the the, um, the the silver when you look from a distance. It's tiny yeah. dots of pigment and the detail within within the detail. So probably like, you know, age, age 13, um, I'm thinking that they're not bright, those fish. I can, <laughs> I can do that because uh, you don't know then that, that you know, how, how impossible it is to uh, to match nature. So, but yeah, pr professionally it started with, uh, um, you know, going to study wildlife illustration after doing uh, an art foundation and then fairly quickly being fixated on the idea of uh, not not just fish, but you know, it was wildlife illustration more more generally that uh, that I studied. Are they more difficult to paint than other wildlife? I don't think so. I think at the at the heart of it is uh, is reference. Okay. And if if you've got good good reference, um, for for me anyway, the way that I work, which is to observe the subject closely, uh, reference is is the key. Just just at the end of a of a very difficult job, I'm doing some. Canadian whales, five, five whales for the, ah. uh, they're for stamps for the Canadian government. Oh, wow. And two, two of these whales are really rare. And I, I, I think, honestly, one of them, the, the northern bottlenose whale, the, there's in the whole world, you know, you, you can Google search as we have for a month and you find about six very poor underwater photographs of, of these animals. So that, that was really hard bit of artistic so, license with it i guess is there or, or kind of common you know, sense you've got an expert <clears throat> on the case like you do with all stamps he spent his life studying them and, and you know probably doing postmortems and i'm just like almost going is this it <laughs> is this what it looks like but we we, we got there eventually we got there eventually oh, but yeah, back, you know, back to your initial question i think i think it's reference and also do you really want to do it? Which, which with the fish, certainly um, to begin with, you know, it, it, it was it was a, an absolute passion. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned reference there because I was going to ask you that. So, do you do you typically have a picture and you're kind of exactly copying it, or do you take elements from different pictures, or is it your mind's eye, or or, or is it a combination of that? Exactly what you've just said at the end there, a, a combination. And okay. The, the mind's eye is crucial, especially in developing compositions and, and taking me off in a, on an idea that I you know, might want to paint. So I'm just trying to I never really counter them up. But if, if I'm doing, you know, a, a shoal of perch in, in a habitat, I would think I'll easily have a, a hundred references on, on the memory stick. For, um, oh, wow, really? Yeah, for, for that one particular pin, because you'll have each perch will be modelled on a particular fish. I don't like to sort of cook things up, so a particular attitude, whatever its shape is. But then your pictures have come from years of reference. So you might have one that's backlit, one that's side lit, one that's got the, the light full on, you know, which you'll understand where the light's coming from. So to make a, you know, a decent illusion, 
you've got to the lighting is crucial to make it convincing you can't have four different suns in your painting no, so, so you, no, you're no. using the the reference then to to put that all together and and you might want to with any species zoom in on an, on an aspect like the eye or the or the dorsal um so yeah it's probably like you probably might be a bit geeky in some respects i don't know how many what what your lightroom catalogs like My, mine's up to two hundred thousand images now most of them fish yeah well so, yeah there'll be it's mostly fish in there i don't know what it uh what it would yeah. be but something something horrific i would i would think like yeah. that what what's been your process for for getting your work to a point where you're happy with it then because obviously you start this commission or start a painting for yourself at what point are you like right i'm done now or or is, is there always something you think oh shit i should have done that or Bang on, really. It's most of shit. I, I should have done it a whole lot better <laughs> because uh, what you know, what what I've said already, which I, I now understand. You know, as a thirteen-year-old thinking, you know, I can do this. I, I I can really sort of nail this. Um, you can make a good effort, and I and I still do really try. But given all the experience I've had, you know, the diving that I do, the snorkeling. And all the fantastic stuff like your own, you know, reference videos that you do. You know, what's available now to us all in terms of the images of, of the world. Um, there's always a feeling, you know, that you've fallen short. But not, not. I don't beat myself up anymore. I, I, I try hard. And at some point, you know, from a commercial point of view, but also from a, a point of view of your sanity, you, you have to sign it and 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 walk away. There's a there's a famous saying attributed to at least four different artists that are painting. Is never finished. It's abandoned. <laughs> and that, that, that's bang on. But I'm also really lucky. Um, obviously, you know, I'm married to Lisa, another artist. Yeah. Um, that no no nonsense. Uh, um, she'll just come in and say, for God's sake, sign it. Like like. Uh, and I've got a, an American artist friend who says she she says that when I realise the paint's getting thicker, but not better then it's it's time to uh time to sign it but there's, there's a sweet spot the very best pictures you, you're searching for that where it all comes together in a way that it doesn't most of the time i mean you know i know it's a very different discipline but you must find it with photography i know you do a lot of uh, you know the the camera traps and so often when i'm doing the photography you, you miss by it just a smidgen if, if the fish had been you know, oh yeah 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 massively sort of you know that that search for the the, the perfect image there i mean I'm, I'm not particularly i don't think i'm too too arrogant with my work but there's very few images that i'd be like oh i fucking nailed that that i couldn't have done anything better than what i've done there i just every image i've taken i'm like oh that could be better that could be better and over the course of the year it's very rare that I'll take any pictures that are, I don't enter competitions now really for that reason because I think unless I've got an image that I think is absolutely the dog's bollocks then I won't do it so I don't really do competitions anymore but I don't know I think you can be your own worst it's not a bad thing to be critical of your own work but maybe sometimes I'm too overly critical I, I, I think to me that's as long as it's not the case of beating yourself up which doesn't sound like, no. like it is no 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 it's a it's a healthy um it's a healthy approach because i think we all probably know photographers and artists who think that they are the, the dog's bollocks when oh yes really, they, 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 they're just not um yeah and also even if they are you know i, I was you know well 
my mom above all people hated a big head nobody likes a big head so even, no. even if you even if you thought it was fantastic but you know i i am i'm you know genuinely to me as every artist dealing with the natural world should be hum humble in in the face of you know what nature provides you with and and you know if it doesn't become pathological which with anything creative it can be you know the, the mental health side of it where you beat yourself up so so much that it then becomes un unhealthy I'm, I'm way past that i'm, I'm far more pragmatic I, I you know i try try my best um and then somebody famous said uh fail again but fail better so <laughs> You're cracking out the quotes today, David. I yeah, love it. Yeah, this is I'm great. Full on, full on. This yeah, is fail great. again, but uh, fail better. And it is that just, just, just driving on and searching for something probably like you with the photography. That, like the Holy Grail, that that image where absolutely, you know, you might give yourself a, a ten out of ten. Chasing the dragon. Happen, yeah, uh, you know, if, if you if you were to get all your best images now, you probably wouldn't give any tens, would you? Well, no, exactly. So I guess it's good to kind of ground yourself to that degree. Because I guess we've, I suppose there, there must have been artists before you that have done fish, but there aren't, there aren't many in the UK. And, and arguably, you've got to be the, well, I say arguably, you've got to be one of the most well known purely because if anyone is a legal angler in the UK, they would have seen your work on a rod license. Yeah, that, that's really helped help my case <laughs> yeah. in terms of get, getting my work out there. Because, yeah, I mean, I was, I was going to say, you, you, obviously you're not the first person to do it because there would have been people doing illustrations in books, you know, however long ago. But I think in terms of painting fish, I don't know, when you started, would there have been many other people doing it? Or were you, I don't want to say not, pioneers, not, I don't know if that's the right word, but... Not, not, not many. And, and no, um, okay. the one that springs to mind in the UK is not that well known. And whenever I post his, his work on... Facebook, which I do periodically, the guy called uh, Martin Nolden. Okay. Um, he illustrated a book, be beautifully written book, um, quite eccentric, really, as, as an angler book called The New Complete Angler. And, and I would recommend that anybody who, who's interested in, in um, well, angling and, and fish seek out the book. And Mar Martin, he certainly was a pioneer and really, really inspired me. And then also much further back than that, I think he was probably doing them in the fifties. Was Bernard Venables? Yeah. Did the you know did did the Mr. Crabtree? Um, so so yeah, long 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 before you know I, I started, I've just been been lucky. I, I think in, in one sense anyway, it depends on on you know whether you like the sort of realism that I do. Underwater well, photography has has moved on. You know, well, that's I, it. I guess a lot of their there were there's nothing wrong with it because obviously there's no right or wrong in art but you have got a, a an almost photorealism with a lot of the work that you do and you know the, i mean you must get it all the time where people go well that's not art that's a photo and you're like no that's something i've actually i don't know if you do you get that do people ever say that to you yeah yeah i get it i get it all the time um yeah. not so much with the originals because the originals are quite often at least two two foot you know i would say 24 by 12 typical sort of size and you can see the brushwork, but certainly on social media, when they're reduced to, you know, a, a, on a phone screen, then people do say, well, is, is that a photograph? Which I, I don't mind, but what, what a new, a new sort of almost, almost a mission statement. I've done it with a lot of work already, but it, because of the age that I'm at, and there are already more artists doing fish and there will be more to follow, but also, you know, 
you probably know the statistic that you know in, in the last year alone there's been more photographs taken than in the whole history of, of, of photography leading up to that you know because everybody everybody you know i've just got myself a new phone a, um an s10 i think it is and and the camera on that but the, the point i'm getting to is good photography is is so available you know at least to have a good phone be careful yeah. what i say and underwater photography as well um again you've been a you know, bit of pioneer make, making fish or a thing but that that yeah, will yeah. change the more and more people doing oh, it. oh no definitely definitely but i want to make images that I don't think anything is ever quite unphotographable, but you know, I don't know how, how much you follow me on Facebook. I've done some recently of bass chasing mackerel. Yeah, no, I've seen, yeah. yeah. And unless you were really, really lucky, I mean, I mean, to be honest, spent virtually every day in, in summer going for the next 20 years, you're not you're not gonna get that with your camera. So I'm I'm when when you you know um clicked on today, I was looking at tuna. So I'm I'm trying to build up some compositions i can't find a single you know real high quality image in in the world i mean i can't find one of, of a really dynamic tuner and, and bait ball there's everything else in bait ball you've got um lots of stuff with the sardine and obviously all the different species of sharks you've got lots of marlin stuff sea lion stuff tarpon stuff and there's a few bluefin there's, there's one one guy got some lovely not Again, not ideal conditions. It's not right, right up there. He was out with Charles Hood. I don't know. Henley Spears. Um, sorry? Henley Spears. That's it? Yeah. Henley. I know. I've seen um, the photos. <laughs> They're good. Yeah. Uh, um, fantastic stuff. You know, not the light quite right, not the vis quite right. No, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they're, they're interesting to look at, but if, from a painting point of view, it's not, yeah, I know, I know what yeah. you mean. He, he's done some amazing stuff. Oh, yeah, he, great photography. When, when I look at the work of photographers like Henley, you know, Doug, Doug Perrine, um, uh, Alex Saf Safanoff, um, Alan, been emailing Alan today, I can't remember his surname, but these, these are the guys that are going out into the big blue and, and they're chasing, uh, you know, the spectacles like like the uh, the sardine run. T some of them to me now are taking the, the photography into the realm of art with the cameras, you know, obviously the speed, the speed that cameras are now, God knows how many shots a second, the, 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 the oh, top some end. Some of them do 30. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It is, it is crazy. And the amount of time that people are spending in the water. So, so I'm increasingly thinking, if I don't really try and up my game, then, then what's the point? You know, so, so I'm, I'm racking my brains to, to think. Um, but I guess that's good, though, David, because you don't want to be complacent. Because I guess as soon as you get complacent, you're sort of not failing, but you want to keep challenging yourself, don't you? And you want to get these better images and vistas. So that's good that you kind of keep doing that. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, so. Is there is there a favourite place for you to visit and get material? Like, is there anywhere that you you just can't wait to to jump in a river, lake, or see a particular spot? Or maybe you don't, maybe you don't want to give it away. But well, no, I've, I've been I've, I've published it. Um, I've mentioned it throughout my book and on uh, on social media. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a few places. There's there's quite a few, but you know, freshwater wise, it is. Boschester and Lily Pools, which are close to me here in, in Pembrokeshire, which are beautiful. Uh, they, they look, to all intents and purposes, um, I said there, it's actually one lake, but it's split into three long arms. So it looks it looks like it's a natural lake, but it was actually 
incredibly sort of made by some wealthy estate owner sort of 150 years ago. Well, you've seen it. You've, you've been there. We, yeah. You, we you went, got that lovely tench, didn't you? Well, yeah, I got that tench yeah, I wasn't expecting yeah. and we did a bit of... Yeah, and, and almost wet your pants when uh, when you tried the frogs for the pike. Well, you showed me those surface froglers and I thought you were yeah. taking the piss. I was like, nothing's going to eat that. Chucked it out there. Better than sex was the quote. Yeah, it was at the time. Yeah, obviously I, I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. David, sex one. No, uh, but yeah, that that frogler on the top was mental. Just poof, the pipe came out like a like a great white after a seal. It was mental. It, it, it is. It's fantastic. So that that's that's top of the list. If you go in a Scottish river, which I did years ago before I had decent camera stuff, saw loads of salmon, massive salmon. And they'd sort of they'd sort of come swimming past and they'd be like sort of looking at you. I'd, I'd kill to go back then with the kids I've got now. But the um the Welsh salmon, they're like, oh, what do you do there? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you see them and, and, and they're gone. And and I've I have learned that especially towards the back end, anytime after September, if you get in a pool and I'm, and I'm learning which pools will definitely have salmon in. You'll, you'll get one shot because you'll get the biggest fish, the biggest cockfish. You won't know quite what you are. You, you know, he's starting to get sort of coloured up and, and fired up. And he'll come and do one pass at you and, and then away. But it's not, it doesn't make for great photography. What, you know, I've looked at your work, the stunning results that you get. And the way to do it, um, and it is simply because I've just loved so much being in the water, that's part of the joy. The way to do it would be would be camera traps. Um, yeah. Definitely. yeah they, 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 they're like Houdini. I, there's two or three pools af, after July. I can guarantee there'll be a salmon in there. They're, they're a nightmare. I mean, out of all the fish I've done, salmon are just so spooky. That you dip your toe well, that's in. interesting. You found the same even in Scotland. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, um, right. So, so I'm doing the Welsh ones at his service. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just that one in that pool that took a dislike to you. But, you know, I've found that um, it'll still, like most fish, it doesn't take them that long to come back to the camera. So this, is, this isn't even me in the water. I'll put the camera in and I'll leave it. But salmon, minimum half an hour, generally, unless they're really fired up and ready to, to get shagging. They'll um, they'll bugger off for half an hour, and they and even then you can see them. They're quite weary. They're looking at it, and it might take them an hour to come back in front of the camera. And then obviously you've got limited battery life, so you've already um, spunked an hour away, and you might only have another half an hour to get that shot. So you've got a very small window. It's, it really comes down yeah. to battery life and, and a few other factors. But no, I find salmon all over the country, uh, from from Devon to Scotland. Uh, just buggers. That, that, that's interesting. It, make, it makes me feel better in some ways. Not that you you are struggling as well, but I'm not <laughs> missing something obvious or, or doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's weird, isn't it, that each river is different. And it might have just been that that Scottish salmon that day was as good for whatever. Because, you, you know, and I'm sure you find this with all the diving you do, that some days everything just comes together and a fish will come up and smile or whatever, and you'll get a really great encounter with it. But you could go the next day with the same fish and doesn't want to come near you. That's just part and parcel of it. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you just, you never know. And you can almost guarantee that if you tell somebody that somewhere is great for X, Y, or Z, <laughs> and you keep having success, that when you take them there, 
it'll be like tumbleweed. Well, and, I remember uh, you, t- I won't say it exactly where, but I remember you telling me a spot on a chalk stream that was really good. And I was like, oh, brilliant, I'm going to go there. And I think I went three times and, and got fuck all. <laughs> but I actually think I was in the wrong spot in the end because I did have a look on a map. I think I was on the wrong, the wrong bit. So I think that might be it. So it might not be you. It might be my poor geography skills. But where, where that was as well, I, don't know, I mentioned it at the time, he had a good friend, he, he died now, bless him, who, who lived in the neighbouring village. Yeah. And when he knew I was coming, the, the villagers fed the, the fish. Well, they didn't feed the fish, they fed the ducks. But he used to, he, he'd feed, you know, I think he used to put pellets in as well as the, the right. with bread. So he'd almost like pre-bait for me. <laughs> so he'd, know, he'd know that I was coming. He'd train him. So and well, they, you know, like any any fish or, or, or even birds in the garden, obviously. So yeah, he because he used to drink. He, he was a quite a character a drinker. So um, on his way to the pub, he you know tip in half a bucket of uh, pellets <laughs> or he, if he'd been fishing maggots, knowing that I was coming down the, the next week. And you know, I, I, I could show you pictures from there. The, the fish the fish were were queuing up. Yeah. But the other thing, this is years ago. So things change. Yeah, cool. So the gravel, yeah. the gravels can shift. Uh, yeah. Weed beds can can come and go. Um, the, there's otters on the gravel pits nearby. Obviously, you can get a local hotspot. So it could be, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, you know, when uh, years ago that, that you know Martin was still alive and, and doing the pre-painting. So it's just it's never a dead cert, is it? In our game? No, no. But I think that's interesting you say that because. I know you tend to kind of stick more to, more to Wales now and you do venture out, but when I've gone to places where I don't know the river or anything, if you've got those feet on the ground, whether it's a river keeper or someone who, who's local, they're invaluable because no matter how much I might know or you might know, if you've got someone local to that area, they're always going to know their patch the best. So there's so many people that have helped me over the years and they're just invaluable. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't put a price on it to to just get you to those spots in a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. You can waste a lot, a lot of time. Definitely, and we should also note that you're not a one-trick pony, and you do have an overall interest in the in the natural world and painting it. And you do occasionally go to the dark side of of feathery things as well, don't you? I do. I set, I set off um, equally uh, as interested in you know being a, a, a more well, what a wildlife artist is a term. So not just birds either with, with uh, British mammals, especially the fox. I used to love the fox as a subject. And par- partly, to, to be honest, um, you know, not, not wholly through choice, but through the competitive. And, and I, think you, you, I think you've been honest about this in some respects. I think you've you told me in the past that you, you love reptiles um, yeah. Above, yeah. above anything. You know, but because of because you're a shrewd shrewd young man, he says says the old man. He thought right, you know, there isn't a lot of people doing the fish. I wasn't shrewd. Uh, that, that's a word that's never been used about me. But um, what I kept seeing was at the end of a year, I'd have uh, you know a couple of bird paintings left. I'd have a fox painting left. I'd have etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But the fish, you know, there was a, there was a niche there. And again, it took me years to, to, to realise, right, well, how about you, you you fill that niche? But it's changed now in, in that um, I still, you know, love all, all wildlife and landscape and, you know, a lot of uh, the Pembrokeshire coastal path. But because of what I touched on earlier, 
um, in terms of making images and, and you know try, trying to make images that uh, are unphotographable. I feel that I've got an opportunity um, with the fish, like like you know the recent uh, bass and mackerel ones, to make images that are very difficult for for you know to, to photograph for sure, but also based on the, the reference that I've got, to be difficult for for anyone else to paint. Um, yeah. You know, I go, I go on the local estuary in, in the winter and, and I, I get beautiful, beautiful shots. I, I know the estuary as well because it's, it's literally three minutes drive to, to where I park on beautiful bit of estuary. And it's um, full of, it's you know in, internationally important for, for uh, wintering waders and wildfowl. So you've got hundreds, thousands of, of widgeon, you know, a lot of uh, teal, uh, curlew, red shank, oyster catcher, green shank, etc. I get beautiful photographs of, you know, I'm married to work a hide. As an artist these days, I, I, I don't know what to do with the images that aren't doing more than, than the camera would. And, you know, again, I don't need to tell you the, the number of, you know, wildlife photographers that, that are out there. Yeah. Um, so it, it's something perhaps missing on my part, really, as an artist. I don't, I don't know what to bring to the easel. That, that is giving a lot more value that, than the photograph. Whereas with the bass and mackerel and, and the tuna I'm working on now, I, I don't know how, how many decent pictures. If, if you put a request out upon Facebook for sen sending me send send me your you know decent pictures of green shank, red shank, curlew, teal widgeon, potentially if you reach the people, you'd have thousands of images coming in with with, yeah. with no photographs. If you said to, to People write, show me your, your images of, of tuna and um, and sardines. It would be Henley yeah. <laughs> on his own. Yes, it would. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it would only be Henley, as far as I know. Um, the I don't know if you saw because it was on Welsh um, BBC Wales, the film, the series, the Celtic Deep. I didn't. I need to watch that. I think it's on iPlayer still. I do need to watch it. De definitely, uh, because they were very, well. No, I'm saying they were lucky. That's nonsense. They they chartered, the production crew chartered um, an old trawler which was adapted with a crane and a rib on, and they spent a week. They set off from from here, you know, live live aboard, and set off to find some bait ball activity, and 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 they did. Um, oh. But again. That that that's that's yeah. There's some there is some fantastic tuna stuff on there, which is is partly, again driving um, driving. But no, back to three hours ago when you asked the question, <laughs> I, I am I am still interested in in wildlife and, and landscape. I'm yeah. walking the the trying to do the whole uh, Pembrokeshire path at the moment, and this time of year especially, it's often you know atmospheric weather. You've got we, we went on Saturday with. Uh, a rainbow sort of day, you know, when you've got uh, blustery showers, you've got clouds coming and going, you know, those big towering dark uh, clouds, and the light on on the landscape. I'm aware, I'm aware. I know I'm not I'm not an old man at 55. Uh, and you you must have it with with you know you've got lots of energy and lots of things you want to do. You, you have to focus because otherwise yeah. your, your energy is 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 dissipated. So at, at the moment, it feels like I'll keep doing the, taking a lot of landscape photographs and I'll keep taking the, the bird photographs. And we've got um, quite a busy garden full of birds. So I've already thought about, thought about what you do with 
camera traps to avoid the compression of the long lens. Yeah. Just sort of te tether a camera because we've got sort of 20 sparrows all at once. And I, I don't know, you probably know more than me. I don't know whether anyone's yet doing that with wildlife, but they should be because the view you'd get there from a, you know, a 17 mil lens in the rose bush where, yeah. where they're all lined up and you get them used to a dummy camera so they've yeah. actually sat on it, it's going to take it into another league, isn't it? From Yeah, I mean, the, people have have done bits and bobs like that, but it's not common. Yeah. It's not, there's not a lot of it out there compared to, you know, long lens picture of a sparrow. There'll be, you know, hundreds. But if you, if you try yeah. to look at more interesting uh, habitat based work, there'd be, there'd be little, if any. So no, it'd be, I did actually try something similar with a great tit on a uh, on a nest box in my mum's garden, and that was a camera tethered. I think it was a five meter USB cable to my laptop, and that was quite. It was during lockdown because I, I couldn't go out, and I, I had to go at that. So I think that'd be really good actually to have have a play around with that, and you could probably get some nice images just just from your garden. Get that moment when the sparrowhawk comes in and rips one of them to pieces. That's the we, shot. We were just saying it yesterday. Um, I've got the numbers are building each week now. But we're up to eight collared doves and a very good friend of mine another wildlife artist martin midley a fantastic um, you know, he's a really good painter of scottish wildlife and he said any day now he, he said they especially the female sparrow absolutely love uh, collared doves so uh, well i tell you i'm, I'm going to one-up you because i was in berlin last week and i saw my first goshawk and i remember oh, and i remember oh. you telling me when you lived in your little your lovely little cottage you told me you saw a goshawk, didn't you, outside your front window? And I, I've yeah, seen photos. And oh my god, it was a beast, absolute yeah. beast. But yeah, I think I think you may have even shown me the photo of the one in your um, was it on your bridge? Was it on your little bridge? Is that it was? Yeah, yeah, they're they're animals. I mean, yeah, they are absolute animals. Um, I'm not it... even sure I could ever ever try to paint a goshawk because I don't I don't know how you would capture that. They seem to carry a a sense of uh, violence with them, like a sort of football hooligan. You know, you cross the <laughs> road to, uh, to avoid them. They got that insensity um, about them. Yeah, they, they not so much here, but where we did live, because so many, 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 many wooded valleys. Mm. A lot of it, um, uh, you know, plantation, not not ancient woodland or anything, but basically been planted 50 years ago and nobody went in it i mean nobody could go in it in, in wales you've got because you've got no road here they're all bramble woods i mean literally head high brambles so for the goshawks we like a bit of peace and quiet so especially in the autumn when the youngsters had, had been um, pushed out you had a good chance of, of seeing goshawk on the on the local walks yeah the guy so that, that was in that was in Berlin. What in, in the city? It was in the middle of a cemetery in the middle of oh. Berlin. And the chap who showed it me said um, one about a couple of months prior had a go at a chihuahua. So that's how big they. It didn't. It did. It, it let go of it. It did let go of it. But he said like that's the sort of level you're at with these things. But I was like that's mental. Yeah, just sat there. Incredible. Yeah, sounds about right. I would. I would. I would expect nothing less from that. Yeah, from absolute monsters. Thought monsters amazing things and one of your recent loves or relatively recent loves is blue sharks isn't it and you, you've spent a hell of a lot of time with them what what is it about you i remember i can't remember if it was the lockdown summer or this summer but you were out it seemed like nearly every day sharking you know yeah, going it was, it was not, not this last summer it was the summer before that's it um i mean where, where do you want to start with with sharks again the the 
the boyhood thing, um, you were probably too young. But but when when we were growing up, there was uh, the wonderful Jacques Cousteau mm. on the on TV, and he he you know he was swimming with sharks. So from some of my earliest memories watching TV was was this um, sort of enigmatic uh, French man who, who who was swimming with the sharks, and then copying pictures out of uh, the family encyclopedia um you know the, the the pages where the sharks were were, were sort of it would, the book would open at where the sharks were and i would uh, i could draw um you know, when i was probably 10 11 you know draw a shark from memory because i've copied the, this outline so often but you know especially in 2021 you, you your chances certainly within the the uk of, of meeting any any major predator uh, apart from man um, and across most of Europe obviously and e even a lot of, of North America are, are absolutely nil yeah in most places so so to go out um, you know as you know you've been at 30 miles offshore which is still I know, I know it's been uh, overfished to death like everywhere else but it's still got a sense you, you can't see the shore it's um, 300 feet deep You've got that, um, that that sort of adrenaline of, of jumping out, out in, into the into into the deep blue. It is the deep blue, and the fact that out, out of this vast ocean, this uh, this you know super predator will appear, and, and if they settle down, they'll they'll come and uh, bump your camera lens or bump your leg or, or, or bump your arm. It, it, it's it's just. Well, I've said to to um, Rich um, Richard, who runs Celtic Deep, as as far as I'm concerned, I'll I'll never in the way that people do sometimes with with wildlife experience. Oh, oh yeah, 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 I've done that. I'll 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 never ever be able to say, oh yeah, yeah, I've I've done the sharks because each time that that one appears, it, it it's 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 moving. It's it feels like a, a real privilege. Um, just the, the way that they move, you know, what, what they are, this supremely adapted predator, you know, the look of them, just the beauty, that, that incredible. Everybody, every shark virgin, when, when they've come, come back on the boat after, well, how blue are they? You know, yeah. I know they're called blue sharks, so the, the clues in the name, the, you know, the way they move. Um, they almost glow, yeah, they? Sorry? They almost glow, that's how blue they yeah, are. Yeah, it, it's got a, a sort of violet blue yeah. to it. But also the fact the fact that out, out there anything could happen. Now somebody, you know, I would think within my lifetime will get bona fide what um, great white shark footage. Because why not? Are, are they here? Surely, surely these are ocean wanderers. Uh, but also we know for a fact from the anglers that there are um, makos. Yeah, you delighted in informing me that, didn't you, before we went out? For oh, the... yeah, yeah. I showed you that enormous mako. That, uh... <laughs> Absolutely. Like, David had the biggest grin on his face. And, like, have a look at this, Jack. This was in the water last week. And was it a thousand pounds? It was massive, wasn't it? This oh, it was, yeah, like 11 foot long. It was an absolute monster. And David's grinning like the Cheshire cat showing me this mako and i'm like oh fucking hell i'm not sure i want to get in with that <laughs> well they, they, they don't go around uh eating people his, his name escapes me now but but the the most successful um shark skipper it's certainly down down this end his name will come to me he, he phoned me up 
um, he was interested possibly in, in a painting. And he's, he's, he's the guy you go to if you really want a chance of, of catching a big poor beagle or, or a mako. Still only catch a couple of year, but he's the one that catches a couple of year. Um, and he said, I used to do what, what you were doing um, until a couple of years ago. And he said, I, I had that sixth sense and turned around. And he said, there was a mako there that I knew could, could take me out if it wanted to. And he said, I've not got in the water since. <laughs> and uh, uh, to be honest, on, only based on some sort of faith I've got in how many hours, especially in the US, it's massive over there, the swimming with me, course. And how infrequently it is, you see, well, never that on Instagram, such and such a body has been taken by a make They're just not doing it. So um, no. I think you'd have to be extraordinarily unlucky for something yeah. to happen, but it's whether you want to roll that very yeah. small die. Right. But, but um, let's face it, if you did get taken out by a make what a way to go. I mean, you'd be legend, <laughs> wouldn't you? Well, well it's, I, it's better than being well, in your bed crapping yourself into old age, I guess, isn't it? So, yeah, you know, exactly. Mako. What, what happened to that Miller? The Mako had him. Serves <laughs> him right. <laughs> the fish got all revenge. Fish all that fish bothering me, done. It's like, yeah, well, the like, fish are getting one back finally. They stuck it yeah, in so, him. They got him. Are you finding that the uh, the rod is staying at home more now? And Because uh, obviously you're a keen angler. And is it more the camera replacing it in the paintbrush, or do you, you still find time to fish? It, it, it is definitely. I still like like yourself. Um, you know that that visceral reaction when when the pike, like you said, leapt out of the water to take your frog, and the excitement. I mean, when when we tench fished and you know that lovely tench fisher's dawn, the excitement and, and love of, of that. You know the way that I got connected to to really connected to the natural world. That, that'll never leave me, but. There are all sorts of reasons, and you 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 must know this. You keep fish, you you watch fish, you 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 know you're uh, probably um, you know well, one of few people as obsessed as, as I am and has put as much yeah. time in getting images of fish. They they are. Um, I know none of them are raconteurs, but they are characters. So e yeah. e even amongst the group of perch, you'll get one you know which will come out, which is bolder. You know, you'll get one which, which is more frightened, but but also in, increasingly, um, and I, you know, I don't know. We've all got our own perspective on on things. The, the way that things are going from a conservation perspective, uh, especially with with species like sharks. I mean, the blue shark, for example, it's um, declined. I think it's fifty early fifties, fifty two percent in Europe in the last twenty years. So, especially with species like the shark, I'm not. I'm not sure that I, I certainly don't want to be fishing for them myself. No. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to to, to catch a shark. Um, so I would rather, if you ask me, certainly with with anything in the ocean, would you rather meet it face to face and photograph it? But it's it's true with freshwater stuff as well. If you said to me now, would you rather catch a thirty pound pike or photograph one? Then, then it would be to uh, to photograph one, definitely. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not suddenly suggesting that that, that nobody should go fishing. I'm, I'm just from my own perspective, I I, I would. I mean, the, the bluefin tuna is a, a good example. There's a tagging program which you're probably aware of, and there's been hundreds now caught from the UK shores, and it's been going on for for years off uh, the west coast of Ireland. 
and Gander's south coast of Ireland. The, these magnificent creatures, which were you know, brought to the brink of extinction in, in, in any meaningful way, people couldn't find the tuna anymore because they, they'd caught that many of them, they, they virtually disappeared. So they're coming back now, which is a fantastic, I, I nearly call it a conservation success story. They only stopped catching them because it wasn't commercially viable. They didn't you know, do it out of kindness of their own hearts, the commercial yeah. fishermen. My feeling, which is naive, but I can't help it, would be that those fish, as part of an ecosystem which has been trashed anyway, they should be given value in and of themselves as as wildlife. Here's the bluefin tuna, they're wonderful. But what we're doing as a species, unless we, we, we monetize them, we don't value them. So no. the, the, ironic, the ironic thing for the tuna, unless the, um, the you know, recreational the game fishing gives them enough value then once they've reached a certain point they'll be shipped off to to, to japan um yeah in, in in freezer ships which uh i don't know i'm i don't know i've heard other people said the same really with mad keen anglers and hunters that the older you get the, the more interested in conservation you you become yeah, um, but, but I, I also think, give, given you know, people like um, not just on the climate crisis, but the species extinction side of things, people like David Attenborough speaking out as they are. Um, I, I don't understand people who think that that's that it's not happening. Uh, yeah. it, it seems to be a sort of ostrich like mentality because you'll get you'll get blokes, you know, I don't know how many will see this podcast. Oh, blue sharks is. Um, as hundreds of them, we you know, we caught 200 just because they're small pockets, and you might yeah. go out and catch a ridiculous number. That's no bearing at all on the overall actual facts of, of how many. You know, the graph, the graphs are there. These are scientists. Uh, these are scientists telling us these facts. Um, well, and I, I do wonder it, um... what, what these people who are just like, like, yeah, yeah, just just carry on. What, what are they going to leave for the? What do they want to leave for their children and, and grandchildren? No, I know. I, I guess it's shifting baselines, well, isn't it? As you know, like twenty years ago, two hundred might have been the the norm, and or, or but then twenty years before that, it might have been four hundred or, or whatever. It get, you kind of get used to whatever number is currently there, don't you? And then you know, yeah, it's a it's a sad state of uh, of affairs. But going back to the point you went about, kind of not wanting to fish. I mean, I still. Fish every, in fact, I've been fishing a lot. I've been fishing more than I should. I should actually do some work. But um, I, I kept perch for a while because I know you kept perch and I kept some in my office tank. It's all tropical fish now, but I did have perch in there and it put me off perch fishing because you say about them having a character and they do like each perch was different. One was more bold, one was shyer, one would do this or that. And, and they're intelligent. You can see them looking at me, working me out. They watch my fingers wiggle and they'd be looking at my fingers and then... I used to feed them at half five, uh, half four every uh, evening and four o'clock they'd be up at the top of the tank waiting for the food to go in. Like, well, how's a perch tell time? But they knew. They knew exactly when they were going to get fed. And it just made me think, you know what? There's something happening between their eyes. It's not just goldfish memory, nothing there. They're, they're smarter than we give them credit for. Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and with the, I, I have been bluefin junior fishing. I went, I went as an observer, to be fair, although my friends who I was with, I'm not exaggerating, they virtually forced me in, into the fighting chair when, when there was a run. They reckoned that I needed to, to feel the power. 
yeah. which I did in uncertain terms. But when we had quite a few tune, I was in fished off Donegal for with the with the legend that is um, Adrian Malloy, hell of a guy. Um, so when we had the tuna by the boat, and I think the biggest one it was the one that they attached me to. No way I could say I caught it. It's, it's Adrian's skills as a skipper. I think they estimated at 550 pound. Jeez. And it's got a, 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 an, an eye, an eye uh, you know, I'm not saying as big as my face, but pr probably getting on for that. And um, while you you have to tow them to recover by the side of the boat, you tow them at six knots for, for a couple of minutes and that pushes the, the air through and then they do swim off strongly after that. So they are, they are released, but I've never seen um, in, a, in a fish's eye and again, it's scientifically proven that the, the tuna, the blue fins are, are right right up there. You probably know they've got a warm-blooded system going on. The muscles along the spine, as they heat up the blood, there's a return system which brings pumps that warm, warm blood to the brain. So they've got a bigger brain and generally a brighter brain than, than other fish. So this, this tuna looking up at me, it was fear, definitely, but but also a sense of of you know of itself in some way that I've not seen in in, in any other fish. And, and again, for 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 me, um, I, I just wouldn't ever want to catch uh, catch a tuna. I just I just like to imagine, you know, if you could manage the ocean, so you certainly had you know, marine nature reserves, basically. Yeah. So you'd have complete no-take zones. So, so you, you know, they've done it around the world. The only one we've got is Lundy, which is di disgraceful, really. There's, there's some sort of, um, by name, like Skoma is a marine nature reserve, but you can still fish, yeah. spearfish, and, and put crabs out. But if you had around the, the, the UK um, quite a significant number you know, spread at intervals around the coast of, of absolute no-take zones uh, along the shore, but then for, for some miles offshore. Again, the studies show that, that within, even within five years, you get a significant recovery, but certainly within 10 years, because um, there's, there's a book I can recommend to anyone interested in uh, conservation of the oceans. It's called The Unnatural History of our seas by Professor Callum Roberts and what you said about shifting baselines. You get people now saying, oh, there's loads of this and loads of that. Uh, honestly, people who haven't read the science um, and the accounts of people from 200 years ago, they cannot even begin to imagine how rich the seas were. You know, this is around the UK. Yeah. So you'd have enormous shoals, shoals of herring three miles across. And then behind them, the super predators like like the tuna, but also quite a few different whale species. Um, the North Sea used to be crystal clear because vast, you know, miles and miles of it would be um, oyster beds that were filtering the uh, particulates out. So the North Sea that we see now, it, it's not as it should be, um, or certainly not as as it was. Uh, because it's a it's it's monsoon. So when you read, if you read somebody inspiring um, like like Dr. Callum Roberts, you get fired up, and it's the way to me to sell conservation about how the oceans could be, what what we could 
and within, within our lifetimes again. Uh, Sil Sylvia Earle is another uh, passionate advocate, scientist, writer. And again, if you read Sylvia's work on, on, on the oceans, um, like I say, most people, they, they can't begin to imagine you know, what, what we've lost. Um, yeah, it's and, amazing, and, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible yeah. when you think about yeah. everything that's gone off and it's a good job we've got people like you showcasing what's under there really in, in, in an artistic art form but that kind of brings me towards the end of it but it's been it's been great to have a, a waffle day because it's been a while since we've had a a good old uh, a good old chat and we'll have to get in the water again soon because it's been too long since we've had a, a snapping session together yeah i look forward to that you're coming down for the uh for the puffins aren't you yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be that'll be pretty pretty good. I'll give a very uh, uh, unsubtle plug for that because I know Richard will want me to try and mention that to people. But if you want to join me and David on a, on a boat, we won't teach you anything. We'll just be on the boat. But our company's not too bad, um, and you can join us and swim with puffins next year. I think I'll put a link in the description if anyone's really keen on that. But that yeah, should that's be Celtic Celtic Deep is the yeah. That's right. That'll be good fun. And hopefully we won't get lost. Do you remember when we went scuba diving and your compass skills were taking us out to sea? Oh, my, my compass was in my bag in the car. Oh, that's right. So it wasn't even a compass. It was just you thinking, that's probably where the shore is. Oh, I, I know this reef. I know this reef. And then I, I, I did realise, I don't remember it sloping down here. So we came up. We were only about a mile offshore. <laughs> oh, my God. Thankfully, we, we lived to tell the tale. We did, yeah. It's, I can laugh about it now. I think at the time I was thinking, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it was fun, wasn't it? It was good fun. So, sorry, sorry you couldn't get me talking. I know, you're so you're such a wallflower, aren't you, mate? <laughs> it's because it? yeah. um, Lisa's quiet and I sit in my studio all day and I literally will, will go a day um, without speaking. I'll go a day, I'll go a month with hardly speaking to a soul. So I should have warned you, really. Sort of public I'm health. Just warning. helping you let it all flow, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Like nice <laughs> I'll catch you next year, anyway. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye. Yeah. Good. Good to see you. Take care. Bye. That was David Miller. If you've not seen his work already, do go and check out his website. Absolutely phenomenal work, both fish and wildlife. Now, next week I've got Joe Hartness on. He's the author of Bird Therapy and an absolute champion for mental health and how you can use bird watching to help combat some of those inner demons. Joe has had suicide attempts in the past, he's struggled with various things and we talk about how bird watching essentially has saved his life. So it's going to be a, a bit heavy but a great chat in all accounts. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast, I've been your host Jack Perks and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers! <laughs>